Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Aiden Moon as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Episode 7 of Trek Through the Scriptures of People Made Holy. My name is Pastor Tom Marsis. I'm the senior pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. And I'm Vicar Aiden Moon. And we're glad that you're with us this week as we cover Leviticus chapters 21 all the way through Numbers chapter 13. And last uh, week, as we were talking about the beginning portions of Leviticus, we were reminded that God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. And one of the significant themes uh, now in the second part of Leviticus is really going to be about rituals. So last week we had uh, Chaplain Rick Jones from Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch on with us, and I had a chance to chat with him, and we talked quite a bit about this idea of ritual, what, what ritual does, how it operates in our lives, the, the value of, of habit, of continued uh, these these rituals that shape us to live in a certain way, and so we w- we don't need to spend too much time on expanding on what we already talked about last week. If you want to uh, review that, you could go back and listen to that podcast. But in the second part of Leviticus, we specifically have these ritual days, um, the, this idea of days like the Sabbath, these sort of yearly organization of the structure of life around a, a calendar, around weeks and days. And there's also, and, and so we have this, these ritual days that in a way are, are doing what we talked about last week, the idea of practicing for being something different, for being a people made holy, and, and ritual actually doing that. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Rick kind of used the, uh, the analogy of fake it till you make it. There's a psychological principle of you, you do something, um, even if it feels a little forced, and then it starts to become natural over time. And the idea of even um, practicing the Sabbath or practicing these these uh, different days that you'll read about is sort of that same idea. You're practicing the new creation, sort of the world as it was in Eden, even though the world's clearly messed up, even though there's clearly not rest. There's a lot of uh, hard labor and difficulty in life. By practicing a, a year, a, a day like the Sabbath, you're you're practicing and enacting in the present tense what God, how God designed the creation to work in the first place, um, even if it's imperfectly. And the same is true. There's this concept of the year of jubilee. There's this idea that uh, every every seven times seven years, you have this big year of release, um, a year where where slaves are released a year where land goes back to its original owners if it's been lost by debt. It's kind of this crazy radical thing. And and there's not even, we, we did some conversation about this last year at Zion in our study on Luke, because this is a concept that comes up in Luke's gospel in the New Testament. And there's not really any evidence that this ever actually was practiced, because the people of Israel were so consistently falling away that you know, by the time 50 years rolled around, they weren't really staying super consistent in keeping God's laws. But this idea of this year of release, Jesus claims to fulfill it ultimately. Um, so you can see how these these practices that are built into the Levitical structure of, of how um, God's people are to operate, how they are to be a holy people, Jesus ultimately comes and he says that the year of the Lord's favor is here. He proclaims release to the captives, especially captives to 
sickness and sin and death. Um, he he actually heals people and frees people from demonic oppression. I mean, there's these kind of themes. So we see this idea of freedom and release and justice being being brought out in Jesus. And so these rituals that the ancient Israelites uh, were, were told to practice are then carried through into Jesus' own life and ministry and ultimately perfected and shown in their completion. And, it, and the next section that's really going to be talking about is the priesthood and that relationship to the people. And really, it's a beautiful word that we sometimes uh, overlook, I believe, but the priest being the go-between, uh, the stand-in between God. You take your concerns to the priest, the priest then turns around, takes that request or that stand-in between us and God, and, and that really, that go-between. And we see it again in the uh, temple when the priest goes into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people, taking in their needs and concerns and realizing that the priest is there uh, to be that uh, basically God in that place for them. So he is the physical presence and able to take their concerns and he turns around and takes it uh, to the Lord. And also in this section we see qualifications of who uh, can be a priest. Obviously uh, we know that Aaron's uh, descendants would also later serve as as a priest, uh, priest for the people, uh, but really de- describing who is a priest, what is a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be an interesting section for you as you follow along that, but realize that all of it ultimately is this stand-in, go-between, between us and God. And some of the key characters, as we see throughout the end here of Leviticus, beginning of Numbers, again, of course, is Moses, uh, God's chosen one to be the leader and director of his people, the one who prepared for leading them during this time period, and also the spokesman, Aaron, uh, which I think sometimes because of our movie depictions of Moses, you know, we see Moses as this uh, great orator before Pharaoh or mm-hmm. even before the people, but really the spokesman through all this was Aaron. He was the uh, Moses' public voice, so to speak, and so he becomes a central character uh, through this time period and also as we, th- as we talk about the priests. And, and it's important to recognize that Moses and Aaron being brothers, obviously, they're from the same tribe. Um, they're from the same family of, within God's people, and that tribe is the, the Levites. So just like, I mean, earlier, earlier on, so this is back in Exodus, God says that the whole people of Israel will be a nation of priests. They're sort of, uh, this, this is a nation that will be God's representatives to the world. And then from within that nation, he chooses a smaller group of people, the, the tribe of Levi, to be specially set apart from within that tribe. So you have these sort of layers of, of uh, closeness to God. And we'll get into that thematically a little bit in numbers as well as we talk about the camp layout uh, of the, that the Israelites were given. But you can see how God sort of sets apart groups within groups within groups to um, organize how he comes to people, I guess, uh, organize how he comes to his own people, and then also have how his people are representing him to the world. And there's different standards. So there's, you know, the, the whole law of Moses is given to the people of Israel as they are to uh, image God and his will in the world. And then there's these qualifications of the priests as they do the same for the people of Israel. And we saw in our reading last week how some of the priests failed right off the bat um, we have some of Aaron's sons fail at that right off, right away. So you kind of see this this stark warning of the dangers and the 
the problems when priests don't do what they're supposed to do. Um, and that is not going to go away. That'll happen. That'll happen again. But there's sort of this standard set, this standard idea of a slowly narrowing thing until eventually you get to the high priest who will go into the Holy of Holies once a year to um, make atonement before God. That that whole um, that whole kind of layering idea will go forward in the practice of the Israelites. And as we conclude then the book of Leviticus, we get into the opening 13 chapters of Numbers this week, and we again return to the story and we remember, of course, that Israel is this encampment and that they move from place to place. It's not, uh, they're not city dwellers, they're not specific areas, they're nomadic people. And I think that sometimes it's, it's hard, easy to forget that they're wandering from place to place, that they encamp for a while, but then they pick up and they move. And so Israel is at Sinai, they're wrapping up their time there, they're going to be moving again. And that really leads into, uh, as Vicar mentioned earlier, how the encampment was set up. And that would be this whole idea of the tabernacle that was being set up, a place of worship. Uh, it was a tent area. It's very specifically laid out as to how it would be. But remembering, of course, that their place of worship, the tabernacle, was a tent. And so when they would move from place to place, the very first thing when they would get to a new encampment would be place the tabernacle. They w it would be set up, uh, the uh, tent uh, wall that would be around the tabernacle, that would be set up. And once the tabernacle was placed, then the people would encamp around the tabernacle in a very specific manner. But that means that the center of their encampment would be the tabernacle. And so later, uh, as we move through the scriptures, and we'll hear this imagery, the Lord tabernacled amongst his people, he was right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's one, I have to admit that in my ministry, it's one of the uh, pictures that I love to use when I go to a hospital, that God is tabernacling here with you, and when you continue your uh, recovery at home, he's going to pitch the tent, take it with you, and tabernacle with you at home. Uh, this whole imagery of God in the middle of his people so that their place of worship really uh, was an example of God's presence with them no matter where they wandered, wherever they moved from place to place, it was right there. And as we get into the, these opening uh, chapters of Numbers, it talks about the layout of the camp and how the tabernacle was set up. And it's a very fascinating uh, thing. And, and so if you have a study Bible, that might be one of those uh, things that you might want to be able to find and, and see all the various ways that it was set up and the meaning of each one of the various portions inside uh, the tented wall of the tabernacle and its impact on the life of worship and faith of the people. I think it's, it's so powerful as we think about the New Testament connections and then application to us to, to realize how, how when Christ promised to send his Holy Spirit to his followers— he promised them God's presence um, in, a, in a much less localized way <laughs> to the tabernacle and the way it was in their midst that way. But it is the, the, you know, Paul talks about being our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. And that means that we carry, carry this presence of God with us. Um, we carry it with us for, on behalf of our neighbor, for others. And we know that, that God continues to remain present with us because Christ came and, uh, he tabernacled among his people. He lived as a human and, and walked among his people, uh, was right in the middle of it all. 
And now, as as uh, as Christians, when we gather, the church, the the community of believers, the uh, gathering of those who believe in Christ, those baptized in His name, they are now the dwelling place of God. Wherever two or three are gathered in My name, I am there. Jesus says, and that's a that's a powerful connection to kind of see somewhat of a, the difference of where we are versus the ancient Israelites, but also that commonality of being the people where God dwells. Well, as talking about the commonality, so to speak, uh, what's very interesting also is that we see this ongoing complaining by God's people. And as we're reading through those sections here, especially a little bit later in the week, uh, and saying, come on, how do you not know? God parted the Red Sea from you. He delivered the Ten Commandments to you. He's, you know, all these things, thinking back how God has been, and you're still going to complain. So it's easy for us to look at, come on. But yet, really, if we step back and think about it, uh, isn't that exactly what we do? All the blessings that God gives to us, uh, house, home, all that we need. And yet, it's so easy for us, on flipping on a dime, so to speak, and say, come on, Lord, what, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? What's going on? And then we can really put ourselves into the, the place of the Israelites and see how, yep, they're complaining to God again, and then how God continues even in the midst of that to, to uh, have his love and care for his people. And so it's, it's very interesting to be able to really see, yes, it was a long time ago, but in many ways we're just like them. And that's kind of one of the other things we see happening here near the end of our section is uh, troubles with our siblings, Aaron uh-huh. <laughs> and Miriam causing problems. Yep. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, I've said this before, but these stories are very human. There's these great, holy, beautiful pictures of God's presence. There's these crazy stories of miracles. And then in the middle of it all, you've got people being people. And, uh, yeah, you have Aaron and Miriam who have been, you know, by Moses' side. They've they've been through this whole thing. And now they're complaining about him. They're uh, undermining his authority publicly. Uh, they're they're slandering him in the face of the whole community, and then the community is is riffing off of that. Everybody's feeding off of each other. There's all this complaining. People are talking about wanting to go back to Egypt, and this is going to remain a theme throughout Numbers. And like you said, God still continues to provide for them. He still continues to give them food or water. Um, God speaks his his frustration almost is what it comes off as in the in the narrative as his. Uh, and even judgment at times throughout this book on the people for this, but he still continues to bless them, provide for them, give them food, bring them along. Uh, and that's going to be a continuing theme through Numbers and through the whole Old Testament, but Numbers really captures it. It's a, you know, you have this really strong start. The camp is all ordered. You know that the center of their life is the tabernacle, and then they barely get on the road, and they're already, you know, there's already, you know, the kids in the back seat complaining about when are we going to stop? Um, are we going to have food? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. You know, it's it's very, very human. Well, and as we're concluding this section here, be reminded and think about how it is that Satan continues to use the same lies, the same uh, uh, encouragement again and again. In the Garden of Eden, did God really say? And whispering into Aaron and Miriam's uh, ears, it really, is this all there is? And how even today... Uh, Satan continues to come to us. So uh, as you read numbers, realize that 
the same sin continues and that yet God's grace also continues in the midst of that. We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, Lord's blessings as you read through the end of Leviticus and the beginning of Numbers. And we ask the Lord's blessings upon your reading this week and uh, hope to uh, be able to visit with you again next week. Lord's blessings this week. questions that uh, came up this past week as we were looking at the opening chapters of Leviticus was about the whole concept of why the Israelites couldn't eat blood. Indeed, throughout the Old Testament, uh, God's people were taught respect for the sacredness of life, and blood is often viewed as a symbol of life throughout the Bible. This wasn't the first mention of that. If we go back to Genesis chapter 4, notice when God asked the murderer Cain, what have you done? Listen, he says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The shedding of blood represents the loss of life. And under the law of Moses, certain foods were considered unclean for consumption. Any meat with blood still in it, we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And indeed, uh, even in the New Testament, we see that Gentile believers were, to, were abstained from eating bloody meat in order not to offend their Jewish brothers and to distance them uh, from the practices of pagan sacrifice. But it's not just blood, it also talks about fat. Notice the fat was seen as the prime portion and given the best portion over to God. And it would be placed in the altar and it would place this aroma uh, that would go up to God. And so that was for the peace offering. But then the regular food, they weren't supposed to eat the blood or the fat, but the fat could be used for other things like such as uh, oil for lamp or polish or basis for anointment, but it could still not be eaten for Israelites. So it was both the blood and the fat, and in a sense, life uh, being life-giving, uh, fat being the special portion and giving it over to the Lord. So it's rather interesting uh, that that was one of the ways that the Israelites were again set apart from the people around them who regularly would use both portions in both their eating and in their sacrifice as well. Well, if you have more questions, we encourage you to uh, give them to us each Sunday morning during Sunday morning Bible class, which is a hybrid, uh, both uh, Zoom and in person. Uh, Vicar Moon often tries to deal with the questions of the week. If you have any special questions, you can email us uh, at the church, and we'll be happy to maybe add those in at the end of each one of our podcasts. Blessings on your day. Thanks for joining us on our trek through the scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on social media. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. 
who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.